0: My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this is the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. This podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. I pray that as you listen to them, they will be a blessing to you and strengthen you in your walk with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's what we have for today. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer morning everyone thank you so much for worshiping with us this morning thank you especially to Ray and Joanne for covering the service so well last Sunday when uh, I and Isaac we both had COVID (laughs) so uh, thank you for keeping us in your prayers and um, and I was watching along at home and I appreciated how Ray tied in everything in regard to the Trinity with the worship of the Trinity I thought that was very well done But it's good to be back, back in the pulpit, and back with you once again, brothers and sisters. This morning's sermon is going to be on the text that we heard read from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9, verses 18 to 24. And the title of my sermon this morning is Identity. In 1896, and some of you are like, oh boy, here we go. In 1896, there is a book written called In His Steps by the Reverend Charles Sheldon. And what Sheldon did was, he preached a series of sermons, and at the end of every sermon he would ask one specific question, what would Jesus do? And this revitalized his church, and he wrote this little book about it called uh, In His Steps. So, in other words, what... Um what we choose to do in our everyday decisions should show something of Jesus in it. And I think asking that question, what would Jesus do, is a good one. And then this continues to have life in our own time, brothers and sisters, a couple decades ago. You know, you may have seen people walking around with the bracelets, and they still might have them. You know, the rubber ones that say uh, 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 WWJD, right? So you're meant to, um, what would Jesus do in this situation? How would he act? How do he respond? You know, you could look down at your wrist and see the bracelet. It could help keep you reminded um, of that, to have that question in our minds. And I think that that's a very good question, what would Jesus do? But in today's reading, Jesus himself poses a question of his own, one I think that is far more important than just asking what would Jesus do, because, well, we'll get there, we'll get there. So, while Jesus and the disciples were praying alone, Jesus asks them a question. And St. Luke records this story in between the feeding of the 5,000 and the transfiguration of Jesus on the mountains. And he asks them this question. Right off the heels of this major miracle. He says, Who do the crowds say that I am? And this is a reasonable question, right? (laughs) Given that Jesus doesn't just arrive on the scene devoid of any cultural participation, right? Jesus' ministry doesn't occur in a vacuum. Jesus appears on the scene in the vein of an Old Testament prophet and his miracles point to his divine sanction by Yahweh, the God of Israel. And given the history of the prophets in the Old Testament which we read about in Scripture, this question makes a lot of sense. Who am I to the people that we encounter? And his words and actions up to this point should aid this answer because after all he just provided bread and meat for people in the wilderness for thousands of people just as God did for them leading his people out of Egypt through his servant Moses. And he's also about to lead a few of them to the mountain where they will see him in glory just as Moses saw the glory of Yahweh on Mount Sinai. And so the disciples respond with, well, some people say that you're John the baptizer. And I find this one interesting as it's not recorded anywhere in scripture that apart from John's miraculous birth, there weren't any miracles attributed to him. Now, there are some in the church who, who, who say that, you know, when St. John went out to the wilderness, right, the text tells us, you know, he went and lived in the wilderness, and he ate locusts and wild honey, and he had wild hair, and he wore a particular kind of, uh, kind of outfit made of a particular type of material, but we don't hear any um, miracles attributed to him. We see powerful preaching, but in, in the ch- tradition of the church, there are, there are those who believe that John was out in the wilderness and was raised actually by the angels themselves. Anyway, there there was this aspect of John's ministry of powerful preaching. We know John had no fear and even preached against the wickedness of Herod, the puppet king, which landed him in prison. And Jesus has done the same. He has boldly preached the coming kingdom of God and has challenged the religious leaders who refused to hear him and pointed out their hypocrisies. There's, a, there's one story in the Gospels as well where they come to Jesus and say, say, Herod, <coughs> Herod wants to meet you. And Jesus is like, go tell that fox, you know, this. Jesus did not have a high opinion of Herod. But he's not John the baptizer. Well, what about Elijah. I mean, and this would make a little bit of sense for the crowds that the prophets prophesied that before the advent of the Messiah that Elijah would come again. Malachi 4 verses 5 through 6 lays this out. See, I will send you the prophet Elijah before that great and dreadful day of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers or else I will come and strike the land with a curse. And this would seem to fit in better. As not only did Elijah proclaim the word of God boldly, he also worked many miracles. We read the story of Elijah. He defeats the prophets of Baal. He stops rain for three years. He restores a widow's son to life. This looks like a better match. But what's the problem? Jesus said that John the baptizer was Elijah. And that the prophet Malachi spoke of John the Baptizer being Elijah. And Jesus is the Messiah himself, so he can't be Elijah. And he's not the return of any other Old Testament figure either, like Enoch or Isaiah. Jesus then asks them, Who do you say I am? And you can probably hear the gears turning in their heads. We have to get this right. And Peter just comes right out with it You are God's Messiah. The Christ of God. And Peter is right. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. Jesus then after this identification. Lays out what it means that he is the Christ. And he lays out what it means to follow him as following the Christ. He says the son of man must suffer many things. And be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And on the third day be raised. He tells them about the crucifixion, the death, and resurrection that is to come. His messiahship is not like one that they are expecting. His messiahship leads first to the cross and then glorification. See, in their minds, glorification comes first. In our minds, glorification comes first. We want the end without going through the beginning. The cross doesn't even enter into their minds. But as they do so, their identity then becomes tied in with his own, if they follow him. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. If any would come after me, let him deny himself So many people come up against the rock of that first one. Many of us don't even get to the second part, taking up our crosses daily. And even fewer than that, get to the third part of of following. We want to save our lives, but we do not want to give them up. And St. Paul picks up on this theme as we heard in the reading from Galatians. He says, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. The entrance into the life of Christ is through baptism. Scriptures are very clear. For our Baptist listeners, hey, how you doing on on the TV? There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now is St. Paul saying here that this means if they are one in Jesus Christ, that there's no differences between men and women? No. He's not saying there's no differences between men and women. He's not saying men and women are the same. Because surprise, surprise, we're not. Some of us are American. We may have friends from overseas. I have Christian friends in all over the world. Do my friends in South Africa and and my friends here in America who are Christians, does us being Christians united together in Christ, does that mean that they're no longer South Africans and I'm no longer an American? Does it mean that there's no distinctives at all? No. That's not what that means. What this text is talking about is how status, class, sex, whatever, None of this stuff matters if we are in Christ. The gift of salvation is open to everybody. Open to everybody. And we are then recreated into one new family. The family of Christ. When we are baptized into Christ, we have put on Christ. If we put on Christ, what does it mean that we have taken off and thrown aside our garments of sin and death? I don't know about you, but when I wake up in the morning, after I take a shower, I don't put on the clothes that I wore the day before. Right? If I, the day before I'm, I'm wearing an outfit and I've eaten some pasta and I've got spaghetti sauce all over my shirt... When I wake up the next day, after I take a shower and freshen up, I don't put that shirt back on with all the pasta stains on it. I throw it in the washing machine to get the stains out, hopefully. With tomato sauce, it's pretty difficult. I don't go and wear my dirty clothes again. Unless, you know, maybe you're going to the gym or you're going outside to do some yard work. But you get the point. When we put on Christ... When we are baptized into Christ, we are washed, clean, and made new. And we are united with him. And then we are united with all of those who are united together in him as one. Becoming heirs of the promises God made to Abraham. What identifies us is our incorporation into Jesus Christ. And our willingness to daily take up our crosses as we follow him. So a little bit earlier, I talked about this question of who am I? And I feel as if that this is a question that's much more important than what would Jesus do. It's Jesus himself asking this question, who do you say that I am? And oftentimes, many people live their lives as if Jesus only asks this question of us once. Who do you say that I am? Well, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. This is a question that we respond to that we answer daily this is a question we respond to daily this is not a question we just answered once and we're like that's it who do you say that I am not what am I what would I do who am I Questions of identity have become our culture's primary means of identification. And questions of identity continue as they increase and multiply and divide, continue to multiply and divide our society and our culture. But brothers and sisters, the church itself cannot be divided. The church itself should never fall prey to questions of identity because as Christians, as those who have put on Christ, as those who have taken off the garments of flesh, the garments of sin, who've had those thrown away, for those who have been clothed in righteousness, clothed in salvation, clothed in God's love, all of our questions of identity are then seen primarily through Jesus that is the only question of identity that matters we are Christ's and being in Christ and taking up our cross daily denying ourselves and following him is the great divider it's the great identifier because brothers and sisters this question who am I you will hear this answered in multiple ways from many different people, including clergy, unfortunately, will say Jesus was just a wandering rabbi. He was just a good teacher. He was just an itinerant man who walked around telling people how to get along with each other. That's all he was. That's all he did. All he did was come to uh, to leave us an ethic so we can be nice. But that is not who Jesus is. That is not what Jesus came to do. He did not come to leave us an ethic of niceness. I'm not saying you can go home and be mean. <laughs> Don't go home and kick your cat and yell at your kids or whatever. There's this, Jesus is a progressive egalitarian, he was a psychedelic using mystic, he was a person of color executed by the state. Notice that how people answer this question, who am I, who is Jesus asking this question to them, who am I, tells you more about them and what they believe than who Jesus is. But for us, Christ, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, the one who came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the first And although asking questions like what would Jesus do can be helpful, this question of who am I is far more important because how we answer that question, who am I, then influences how we act, how we live, what we do. Because brothers and sisters, surprise, surprise, Christians are not the only people who can do good things for others. Christians aren't the only ones who can do good things for the world it's great that there's other religions and other people who we can at times work alongside of to advance common goods like providing for the poor feeding the hungry but make no mistake we are not one competing ethic in the marketplace of competing ethics we are partakers we are entrants we have Participated in, and I'll participate with the very life of God. The very life of God. And so, if we would follow Jesus, if we'd be identified with those who are of his family, then we need to learn to deny ourselves to take up our crosses daily and follow him for if we would whoever would save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit one god amen thanks for listening to the podcast from Zion's stone church we're in the middle of a building repair campaign, and if you'd like to help, please go to www.gofundme.com slash Zions Stone Church Repair Fund. We'd appreciate anything you'd be able to donate. If you're ever in the area, you're always welcome to worship with us on Sunday mornings at 10.15 a.m. God bless you.